This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about how Jesus is the light of the world, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. Before we do that, I want you to think about the metaphor of light and darkness. Mm. Um, if I can be honest, I like to tell people I'm not afraid of anything. If I can be real honest, I'm actually a little afraid of the dark. <laughs> Nefarious activities happen in the dark. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, but that's why we have the 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 whole idea between the the dichotomy of, of light and dark, right? Um, and why Jesus in, in certain parables talks about thieves doing things at night, right? Yeah, so, and interestingly enough, we haven't talked about it in this series, but there's a pretty famous, like, passage in John chapter 3 about Nicodemus coming to Jesus mm, at night. At night, yeah. Strictly because he's a Pharisee, and he thinks Jesus is right, but he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus in the light. Isn't that one of the coolest narratives, though, <laughs> like, in the it Gospels? Is. <laughs> like, and, I love it. Um, one of my preaching professors and a man that I think is a extremely good preacher, Dwayne Brooks has a famous sermon called Nick at night over mm. that text. Ooh, that's so oh, good. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's good. Ooh. But there is this idea about the things that happen in the light versus in the darkness. And if you think about that metaphor of light and darkness, there's a progression of light. Mm. Just think about how we've been through time, been yeah. through history. We, we have the epitome of light yep. in the sun, right? The, a massive amount of light. Yep. But then once the darkness comes, there's a progression of how we get to light. Mm. So first we have fire. Then we yep. have candlelight. Then we have oil lamps, then we have moon towers. Do you remember these? Or no. no, you wouldn't remember these. Have you ever learned about these? Mm-mm. Moon towers are something that were at the turn of the century in the late 1800s. And they literally kind of looked like water towers. They were in most cities. And they were a reflection of the moonlight that they were placed in these specific places so that you could have street light at night before mm. electricity. You can still find them some places in the U.S., But then we found a way to increase the light with electricity and the light bulb. What that tells me about history is everybody wants more light. Mm. Nobody likes living in the darkness. Yeah. And yet somehow we consistently find ourselves returning to the darkness. Well, and you're going to have to help me on the specific reference here, but... um even going all the way back to David, you know, your word is a... A, a lamp unto my feet. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- consistently throughout the narrative of Scripture, we we find that God and the, the idea of God and what comes from him mm. is light. Um, because what's, what's the whole deal? The reason we want light is because we can't see in front of us. You can't see where yeah. we're going. So it's interesting you read the metaphor that way. I, you could read for John 8, where we're going to talk about today, you could read that metaphor, I am the light of the world. You could read that metaphor in a few different ways. Right. 
Um, one of them would be what you're suggesting in clarity. Mm. The other one that you could read would be in goodness. Mm. Yeah, 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 for sure. That would that would be a very Pauline reading, right? Right, evil and darkness personified in that kind of way. So light being the opposite of that would therefore be, be good, goodness yeah. personified goodness. But yeah, I think, and maybe there's a little bit of ambiguity that 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 goodness is clarity, mm, right? Cause yeah. then you've got the whole first John thing that, um, God's not a God of confusion. Mm. God's not, you know, in this kind of way. So therefore clarity would be. Yeah. Um, I, I do agree. I think there is a few different ways that you could read this, but, um, fundamentally I think, and this goes back to what we've been talking about on PNP, right. Um, about God and ethic. God is fundamentally good in, in all ways. So he must be. He yeah. has to be good he in must all be. ways. Therefore, Jesus in and of himself has to be good. Yes. And so And, and that's what we see him embody. Right. And so therefore, the Jesus being the light of the world, yeah, um, could be personified goodness. Now yeah. that may not be what he meant. It may be, right? But like as we see Jesus in other places, like this could be interpreted like a parable in many different ways. It could Because it is so vague. Well, and I will say, this is one of the unique situations where the, the I am statement doesn't really come in connection with a story or a miracle or a right. sign. There are nine signs in John's gospel. Although it did come with social interaction. Yeah, So, but that's the other thing. If you read it as goodness, it does come connected. Right. Oh, for sure. But there's also a huge controversy with this text because in every translation, John 7, 53 through 8, 11, it's not in the earliest manuscripts and the ones that we do have it in, it's never in the same place. Right. It jumps around the, the gospel writing all over the place. We kind but of still put, we know that that's a general thing that kind of happens somewhere, right? We suspect. Here's the deal: text criticism is a very real scholarship like area, right? And there are people that are like, "Yeah, some of this stuff didn't happen." Yeah. I'm not necessarily I mean, there. Th there's that passage at the end of Mark that like nobody that's the, thinks. Well, like. but that's the deal, and and honestly. That that's a really good example. It is. It's bracketed just the same as this one. Yep. It happens that way in every translation. And if you didn't have that text, you wouldn't have charismatic traditions that did snake handling. Yep. It's only from that text yeah. and the Moses text. Right. They proof text it with the Moses text. But really, that's not a thing that you would have. And this one, and even this story. Because we're not told what he writes in the sand. Yeah. The, the whole thing does feel a little odd. Now, it's pretty universally accepted that if you're going to accept this text, this is where it would go. Right. I was actually told in a class at a very conservative seminary. Okay. When I was learning Greek, that you should never preach this text. Because there are too many questions about whether or not it was, it actually happened. 
yeah, but see. <laughs> but see, then that's where, and this is credit to our friend Andrew Barrett, like biblical authority has to mean something. Yeah. It consistently found its way in, even through the opposition. Well, and, and what do we always talk about? Theologies are built on four stances, right? Yep. Scripture, tradition, in this case, yeah. reason, and experience. Yep. Um, and in this case, we get it in scripture and in tradition. You so, do, yeah. So it, it has stood the test of time in the canon and the canonical formation. It continues to be there. Um, and as someone who considers themselves, you know, an armchair text critic, because I mean, I have like 21 hours just in Greek, not including Hebrew or Latin. Yeah. I do, I do kind of default that it, it happened. Um, I definitely think the story happened. I definitely think there's merit and value to the story. And I definitely think it should be in the text, but I'll be honest. I don't love it in this location. Mm. I think they've put it there because they want you to read the light of the world statement through a lens of clarity and goodness. Yeah. Which that story seems like a good launch board for. Um, because you're getting clarity, right? Yeah, you're reading the law to these people. Yeah, you're reading the law. She should be stoned. But at the same point, do you truly have clarity? Because number one, which of you have not committed a sin? Yeah. And number two, where's the guy? Right. So there are issues of clarity around here. There, there are issues of justice in this moment. And when Jesus shows up, he enacts mishpat. Right. Hebrew justice. Yeah, restorative justice. Restorative justice, which therefore makes it good. Yeah. Very easy launch pad for the I am the light of the world statement. No. So let's read it. He jumps in in verse 12. This is right after the woman caught in adultery. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We were talking off camera. Above all, for me, that's a statement of authority. Right. For Jesus, when you hear I am in Jesus, your mind should immediately run back to the divine name in Exodus 3. Right. This is a Yahweh statement. And even at the end of the text, at the end of this text, Verse 20, the last clause, because his hour had not yet come. All of this is about timing for Jesus. So he's revealing himself as God. And when you can step back and read the entire narrative, you're getting both Messiah and Yahweh narrative and imagery. But Jesus is not coming out explicitly saying it because his hour has not yet come. Mm. But you should be reading all of these through ancient narratives that reveal something about God. Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, is the same thing as what John 1 is saying in that God created the world. The first thing God enacts in Genesis 1 in the creation narrative, light. Yeah. It is this statement of I am there. And how can somebody offer life if they have not offered life? Well, the same God that creates light breathes life into Adam. Yeah. You should be reading this narrative 
all of these, Richard Hayes calls them echoes. Yeah. All of these yeah. are echoes of what's happening in the ancient narrative that is the foundational premise of the faith. The the Bible Project would call them hyperlinks. They would call them hyperlinks. You were right. Um, and I actually just thought about something kind of tracking back a little bit. Um, clarity would be goodness. Could be goodness. It could be. Um, because in the same way here, Jesus is also clarifying some things yeah so we're not there yet yeah that's a that's a good transition so this is what happens jesus makes this statement and this is why i say it's authority because you made the same comment then the pharisees said to him you are testifying on your own behalf your testimony is not valid they get that it's a question of authority because they question his testimony right they don't want him to be right. They get what he's saying. Yeah, they are questioning his statement that he is God. Yes, they right? they get what he's trying to say very real. Yeah. And so they come back and combat him. Jesus answered them, this is verse 14, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I've come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Which, right. hold on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'll preach. Judging by human standards means a lot of things. Mm. Um, what's, the, what's the whole deal that our dad always likes to talk about in Isaiah, 50, uh, Isaiah 55? Oh, yeah. Um, um, we see a part of the picture. God sees the whole thing, right? Yeah. The the big piece. Yeah. He sees the larger narrative. And in Isaiah's time and in Jesus' time, it hadn't been fulfilled yet. Yeah. Jesus knows what's about to happen. Um, he yep. knows that he's God. Yep. But the Pharisees don't see it. Um, and, yeah. and so they're judging by this small little piece, this little magnifying glass that they're shining on one spot, whereas Jesus is standing back looking at the entire piece of art. Yeah, well, and in that, I'm glad you called it art because when I read that, this is my metaphor theory and kind of all, all of that stuff popping up, but... Listener, you are the only person that knows where you've come from. Mm. Truly, you are the only person that knows where you come from. You are the only you are your own expert. You are. And because you're the only person that knows where you came from, you're the only person that really knows where you're going. Yeah. Mm. Um that can I get on a social work soapbox real quick? Uh you can, just don't steal my mojo all the way. I'm sorry. In, in social work, we we like to say that the client Mm-hmm. Is that their own expert, like on their own life, yep, their own yep, situation. Yep. You know yourself better than anybody. When we do care with clients, we talk about clients as being in the driver's seat. Mm, okay. We are in the passenger seat helping. Yeah. Um, directing, mm. giving, giving options. Yeah. But you yourself are the only person you are the only person that knows where you need to go yeah, and the path you need to take to get there. We're just there to help facilitate. Yeah. And 
because you are your own expert on your own life, Jesus is there as a light into your situation um, to help you figure out where you're going. So I actually don't think that's how the narrative is being that's set up. That's not how the narrative is reading it. I think like, you're on the right track, but I don't think that's how the narrative is being set up. The way I think the narrative is being set up is that Jesus is the only one that knows where he's come from, and he's the only one that knows where he's going. He says he's a light into the world. His own statement of knowing where he came from and knowing where he's headed is a mirror through which you should look, and the question is, do you want your destination to be light or dark? Hmm. You can take this journey based on where you've come from because we all come from pain and trauma. So you should kind of go back to like John three. You should. Um, how can, how can I be born again? Yeah. Yeah. You, that really should be the way you're reading that. And I also think that's why the text, this is why I say, I love the storytelling of John. I think that's why it's highlighted. They came at night. Mm. Is to set you up for this moment because you should be reading Jesus into yourself. You know your past. You know where you've come from because Jesus knows where he's come from and he knows where he's going. We all know that. Here's the difference. Jesus didn't come from pain and trauma. Jesus endured pain and trauma Mm. on our behalf. We're all coming from pain and trauma. And from coming from pain and trauma, you have one of two choices for the direction of your life for where you're going. You can pursue darkness or you can pursue light. Ooh, I love it. That I think that's how the narrative is being set up for you. Yeah, I like that. Um, totally. Uh, because then he says, yeah. you judge by human standards. Right. You don't understand light and life. <clears throat> well, and, and what's that whole deal from... from um, uh, there's a few different people that have said it. I can't remember the, the person who originally said it, though. But you can't have... Uh, light without dark. Um, well, that's the whole deal. Darkness is the absence of light. So you right. must have light in order for darkness to even exist. And therefore, good and evil. Correct. Right? If you're um, going to personify them, which right. I think you should, I especially you should. in John's gospel, I yeah. think you should. You, you can't have one without the other. And Jesus is trying to tell you that I am the life. <laughs> yeah. Right. And this is how you distinguish evil from good yeah. is by following me. Yeah. No, I think it's true. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in in where we come from. And Jesus is speaking from a very different place because he also knows where he come from. The second half of the narrative is all about who his father is. Jesus knows where he comes from, and Jesus comes from goodness. But in coming from goodness, he lives a life of goodness and pursues ultimate goodness and taking on everybody else's pain, trauma, and sin for their own goodness. Mm. That exchange that happens there now gives you, the listener, the Christian, the potential follower of Jesus to ask the question, how will I deal with my pain and trauma? How will I deal with the things that have happened to me, who my father was? Yeah. How will I deal with this moving forward? Am I going to pursue light or am I going to pursue darkness? Because Jesus took my darkness and offered me light. But I've got to make that 
decision within myself to say, hey, I'm not going to let where I came from define where I'm going. Yeah. Because we're all coming from, whether you think you are or not, we're all coming from darkness. Mm. In some capacity, your dad wasn't present, your mom wasn't present, your pain was very real, you experienced trauma, you've been betrayed, you've been cheated on, you've been raped, you've been beaten, you've been an experienced person with trauma. You're coming from that darkness. And the question is, are you going to continue to live in that darkness to deal with the darkness you're coming from? Or are you going to pursue light as a way to overpower and triumph that darkness that you've come from through the power of Jesus?